John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of flesh, nor of the will of the flesh, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes After me ranks before me because he was before me for from his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. Let me take a moment to uh, sit and reflect on God's word. We take that time uh, at Christ Community Church to have a little space between reading scripture and uh, preaching the sermon uh, because we really want to kind of set God's word off and say, let's just let this stand on its own. <laughs> let's think about it for a second before you hear what any of us has to say about what it says, because uh, we really believe I mean, God's word can speak for itself, but um, in his grace and uh, in his wonderful plan, he chooses to also speak through uh, his messengers as well. So let's, let's just pray together before we begin. Heavenly Father, we've heard from your word. We've heard from you. Would you continue to speak? Would you continue to give us ears to listen, even in the midst of um, all kinds of distractions before this point and uh, distractions uh, that we're leaving to later? Uh, Lord, would you help uh, me speak uh, that the words of my mouth would be uh, pleasing to you and full of grace and truth as you are. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, uh, okay, uh, kids and adults that are in here, uh, since it's Christmas, I thought I'd start uh, with a story. So raise your hand if you've uh, heard the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Okay, so like most people, I think it's, if you go to church, I think they make you watch it, uh, uh, maybe. Uh, so you've heard the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. This is just kind of the gist of it, if you haven't um, read it. There's this magical land called Narnia, and it's under the spell of an evil white witch. And then the story is that four children are called into Narnia to defeat the witch, to defeat evil, to defeat the power of, of death and destruction. And this witch has put Narnia under a spell, and this is what the spell is. It's always winter, but what? Never Christmas. It's always winter, but never Christmas. So it's like the worst part of winter, basically. So you get all the bad and none of the good. So it's always winter and never Christmas. And the whole kingdom of Narnia is waiting for these four children to come, and they're waiting for their king, Aslan, to come back into Narnia. Their king's a lion. It's a long story. But they're waiting for him to come back, and when Aslan comes, when the children come, they know that the witch is going to be defeated. And then there's this incredible moment, sorry to spoil it, uh, about halfway through the book, in the middle of winter, which is always winter and never Christmas, Father Christmas shows up. The children see Father Christmas and he, and he brings gifts to the children and the animals know and the children know that because Christmas has finally come, they know the spell of the witch is breaking. They know that Aslan will be coming soon to defeat her and to put everything right. And Christmas Day in Narnia means the beginning of the end of the kingdom of the witch. And what we have just read this morning in the Gospel of John is the story of Christmas Day, not in Narnia, but the story of Christmas Day in our world. And it is the true story of the beginning of the end of evil and sin and death. It's the story of how God moved into his world to set everything right. It's the story of good news, of of peace and hope for the world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're used to hearing about the Christmas story with the baby and the manger and the wise men, and they get kicked out of the inn because there's no room with the animals. But when John tells this story in the Gospel of John, what we see is we're not looking at the manger. We're looking up from the manger to see this event from this large kind of cosmic perspective. So let's just spend a few minutes this morning. Very few. (laughs) Just to skim the surface of this passage and look at the way God chose to come into the world. Uh, We're going to be all over John 1 through 18, um, John 1, 1 through 18, but I want to focus especially on verse 14, which says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the word that God moved into the world as word and flesh. So first we're going to see God moved into the world as word, then that he moved into it as word in flesh, and then we're going to ask the question, well what are we supposed to do? So first, he came into the world, he came into the universe as the word. Now that's kind of a strange way to talk about God, isn't it? I mean, why not just say God came into the world? Why say in the beginning was the word? Uh well, 
in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God speaks the universe into existence, right? Using, we assume, words. So God's speech is this thing in the Old Testament that is kind of identified with God's creative power. So when God creates a people for himself, what does he do? He speaks to them. He gives them laws, he gives them promises, he gives them prophets, and the prophets are his mouthpieces to the people, because what does God want to do with the world? He wants to speak to it. He wants to bring his speech into the world, because when his speech moves into the world, his speech creates. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's speech is kind of equivalent, it's like synonymous to his action in the world. If God's on the move, if God is doing something, he's speaking. Okay, and in fact, this idea of God's word was such a big deal to the Jewish people that they they revered his word. They loved his words that he had given them. And in fact, his wisdom, his divine wisdom, his divine speech, his directions that he gave them were so precious, they gave it a special word. This is what the Greek speaking Jews called it. They called it the logos. So now you've learned a Greek word. So kids, say it with me. Logos. Logos. Like Lincoln Log. Os. Logos. So God, God's word was called the Logos. And it's like this, this logic, this wisdom by which he made the entire world. It's like the framework that the whole world is built on is the Logos of God. Okay? And so, but there's this problem, right? His people live... Not by bread, but by the words that come from the mouth of God. But, but God's people for about 400 years at the time of, of the beginning of the New Testament, God hadn't spoken to his people. The people who live by God's speech, who live for his word, who live according to the logos, who love God's word, they hadn't heard anything from God. They were waiting for a word. But God had been silent and his people had been conquered by Babylon and, and by the Roman Empire now. And they were waiting for a message from God. And so they're waiting desperately for God to speak to them again. And so John says, here comes the word. Here comes God's speech. Here comes God moving in to create and to do something special with his people. And so we should have this sense of anticipation when we hear in the beginning. Oh my gosh, there's a new beginning. It's like a new Genesis. In the beginning was the word. Yeah, we know that the word was in the beginning of time. But John John is saying, no, no, the word is coming to us. And this is the mystery. (laughs) This This is the surprise is that the word comes not as a thing, God's wisdom, but it comes as a person. The word isn't a what. We find out that the word is a a he. And you should kind of feel this tension and just kind of read along. We're asking the question, uh, what is the word? Who's the word? What what is the word that that John is talking about? Okay, so we learn a couple things about the word. Uh, The word always existed. It was there in the beginning with God. And the word was present with God. Okay, that that makes sense. Uh, God's wisdom is there with him. But then it says something pretty incredible. Verse 1, the word was God. Wait a minute. How can something be with God and also be God? Well, I mean, we know. 
the, the Trinity, that God is three persons in one being, and all three of them are equally God, but they're not the exact same as each other. <laughs> they're different, so they can have community, so that God can be with himself and still be God in himself, in community. So the Word was with God, and it says that this Word made everything. And in fact, there was nothing that's been made in the whole world, the whole universe, that wasn't made through the Word. And in the Word was life and light. And this Word is now called the light. Okay, thanks for making it a little more confusing, John. Uh, it's, is it Word or is it light? I guess it's both. So, okay, so the Word and the light is shining in the darkness, and thank goodness the darkness has not overcome it. And then, okay, so tell us about... <laughs> This word, okay, it's shining into the darkness. What does that mean? And then it says there's a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay, maybe that guy's the word. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, to bear witness about the word. Okay, he wasn't the word. So this guy, John, who bore witness about the word, it's not him. And so we should be asking the question, well, who is it? Who is it? Tell us, tell us, tell us. We want to know. And finally, he says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Great, tell us about it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. We want to know him. John, tell us, tell us, who is this? We're we're 12 verses in. He hasn't mentioned who this is yet. And it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. You know, you've seen him. John, tell us. Who is he? John bore witness about him. You're telling us about him. And it says, For the law was given through Moses, verse 17. God's speech to the Old Testament people came through Moses. But grace and truth, this fuller revelation of God, came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one we've been looking for. Right there at the very end, finally we see, oh, it's Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. The man, Jesus Christ, is the Logos, God's new speech into the world. And so when we see that, when we hear that, we should, we should, we should think the word, this God of God, light of light, this cosmic power is the man, Jesus Christ, God, the son, God, the eternal son who's always existed from the beginning. John's saying, that, that's this guy, Jesus Christ. And God is coming to us as a word to recreate the world just like he did at the beginning. In fact, to make a new beginning. But God just doesn't move into the universe in, in, um, as a word. The Bible's really clear. Verse 14 is clear. He comes in as word made flesh. He comes to us, as John 1.14 says, uh, the word became flesh. Uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated it, said the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that a great expression? The word took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Uh, the word that um, fancy smart people use to talk about this is the incarnation. So let's say that too. Incarnation. Incarnation. So you guys know if you've been to Taco Bell what carne asada is. Okay, so carne asada is, it's like grilled beef. It's grilled meat. It's grilled flesh. So if we're saying the incarnation, the incarne asada, I guess, the, the incarnation is God in flesh. God coming in, in a body. 
in muscle and bone and skin, in physical space, so you could touch him. But flesh doesn't just mean a body. It doesn't just mean that he came in a human body. Flesh, for John and, and for the Old Testament uh, Jewish people, flesh didn't just mean a human body. Flesh had this idea of everything that was frail, everything that was mortal, everything that was weak, everything that, as some of us know, is breaking down as we get older, everything that is fading away. It's the part of this kind of temporal, worldly existence that you would think the cosmic, universal God is totally separate from. But flesh, the world of flesh, is this world that we live in. World where, where our hearts get broken. Where people get sick and people die. Where, where bad things sometimes happen to good people. In fact, that happens all the time. This, this broken kind of world of sadness and pain. That's the world of flesh. And so it's one thing for, to, to hear that God loves the world in general or that God took it on a human body, but it is a total scandal to say that the infinite, perfect, holy, glorious God came into this broken world. Not just that he loves the world in general, but he loves flesh. That he loves the brokenness. If you, if you want to get a picture um, of what flesh looks like, uh, just just think about it. It's the ruins of creation. Uh, it's the decay of creation. There's this uh, picture on your bulletin that you can kind of see it. Uh, it's a it's a, a picture from a painting uh, by a, a German painter named uh, Albert uh, Alterdorf. I don't know if that's how you say his name or not. But so this guy, this German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was uh, imprisoned by the Nazis. And he's sitting there in prison, and he has a bunch of postcards that he can look at that his family gave him. And one of them is a picture of this, uh, 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 this painting. And the painting's called Holy Night. And the guy, Alterdorfer, or Altdorfer, who painted it in the 1500s, he didn't paint the picture of the nativity of Jesus in the manger in kind of first century Jerusalem. He painted a picture of Jesus sitting in the ruins of like a 15, 1500s house. So Albert Altdorfer said, well, what would it look like if the incarnation came, if Jesus came into my neighborhood right now? What's the most broken down house in my neighborhood? Well, it's a, it's a ruined house over there. You can just see the brick foundation. I'll put Jesus right there in the ruins of my world. That's where I picture Jesus coming in. And Bonhoeffer looked at this painting and he's writing to his parents and he said, he said, we too can celebrate Christmas in the midst of the ruins around us. Because God came in to the ruins of this world. That's what it means that God came in flesh. So why did he come in flesh? Why did he come down into the mess, into the brokenness, into the ruins of the world? Well, a couple reasons. One, just so we could see him. So we could behold his glory. I mean, the only God, the eternal God. I mean, you and I as mortal beings have about as much chance of standing face to face with God as a, as a snowball does on the face of the sun. I mean, we would just be zapped and melted in a second. So God came down, veiled in flesh, so that we could approach him. 
so that we could see him, so that we could um, behold him, so that we could adore him. He came in a way that we could actually encounter him without being completely devastated. And he came so, so that we would know that he knows us. He came all the way down to experience every part of human existence, but without sin. He came down from heaven to to be a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses because he was weak. He was hungry. He got tired. He was disappointed by his friends. Jesus knows what it feels like to weep. He knows what it feels like to lose someone you love and to have the emotion well up inside you so much that you cannot control it. And you just have to weep. You can't even speak. That's, that's what happened to Jesus. He knows what it's like to go through what we go through in this world. I mean, if you just look through the gospel, you see example after example. I mean, Jesus was born, conceived to an, unmed, an unwed mother. And you don't see a lot of mention of Joseph in the later, after Jesus' birth. So what most people assume is that you know, Jesus basically grew up in a single-parent home. That Jesus grew up with not really having a dad around. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but I mean, <laughs> Jesus came into less than ideal conditions. This is someone we can sympathize with. He knows what it's like to go through what we go through. And not only that, he came into flesh so that he could redeem flesh by death and resurrection. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. He didn't come just to be a a teacher or a a prophet, a mouthpiece of God like Moses was. He came to die. He came as a sacrifice. You know know, that that, that Christmas song, What Child Is This? At at Mary's Breast is Sleeping. I mean, that's a beautiful song. But there's this verse that we don't really ever sing. We've kind of changed the second half of it because it's too creepy to sing in church. Listen to this. Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Okay, we've sung that before. But this is the original section. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. You're looking at a baby and you're saying nails and spear are going to pierce him through. It's brutal. That's what it means. He came into this world. He came in this world so he could die. And not just die. And this is the beautiful thing. To turn death inside out. To redeem broken flesh. This world that breaks down. This world where we get sick. This world where there's pain. He came into this world to redeem this world. Luke 24. Jesus is resurrected. He comes to his friends. And Thomas can't believe Thomas can't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead with a physical body. He says, I have to see it with my own eyes. And Jesus appears to to Thomas and to the disciples and he eats some fish because ghosts can't eat fish. And he laughs and he hangs out with them and he says, Thomas, look at, touch my hands, touch my side. See me. I'm really here. A ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see that I have. 
But he doesn't have normal flesh and blood anymore. He's got redeemed, resurrected flesh and blood. And so what God coming in flesh tells us, and I mean, this could be a whole 20 other sermons, but is that the physical world has a future. That the physical world will one day be transformed. That you and I, if we belong to Jesus, will eat and drink in the kingdom of heaven in resurrected bodies. That our feet will touch the ground and that we will run and we'll be able to hug and sing with real voices, with breath in our lungs. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be a physical existence because God came not just to save flesh, but he came to redeem flesh and transform flesh. And we will have a body like his one day. The word tells us. Why would he do that? Why would he go to all the trouble to come in this fragile state? Well, he did it because because he loves us. And because his plan is to crush the power of sin and death and to make all things new. And this is how it starts. By coming as flesh, as a baby. So the word came into the world, came into the universe as word made flesh. And so what are we supposed to do? What are God's people supposed to do? What are you supposed to do here today? Well, what we're supposed to do is to to follow his example. We're supposed to move into the world as flesh and word people. We're supposed to do what it says in John 1. We're supposed to behold him where John says we've seen him. We're supposed to believe in him. We're supposed to receive him. We're supposed to bear witness to him and we're supposed to bring blessing to the world. Believe in him. This is what it says in, in verse 12. He came so that all who believed in him, all who that believed in his name, all who received him would have the right to become children of God, to receive new birth. Now, believing him means trusting that Christ has really come down in flesh, really come to share in our mess, to redeem the ruins of our life. He, he didn't come into the world to save spirit people. He came into the world to save flesh people, needy people, suffering people, people who lack righteousness of their own, people who need forgiveness, people who, who are poor and who mourn and who are needy. And he came down to meet us right in that point, right in that deepest place of our need. Now, I don't, I don't know what uh, the mess looks like for you when you think about what the the ruins of your life might be. I I, I mean, maybe it's a broken relationship. Uh, Maybe it's a a painful experience you've had. Uh, Maybe you're just disappointed. And it feels like things are broken down and you're wondering, where is God in all of this? The message of Christmas is that God is not standing somewhere far off but he's come right down to meet you at that point of your deepest need to meet us and shine his light in the middle of our deepest darkness. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the incarnation is about. God desires to be present in the most ruined parts of your life. He's not afraid of flesh. He's here to redeem flesh. So we're supposed to believe him to receive him in the flesh parts of our life. We're supposed to bear witness to him, which means we go out as flesh and blood and word people. 
Uh, and if, if you want to talk about like bearing witness to him, I mean, you could do a lot worse than John 1.14. If you're looking for the kind of elevator speech of how do you share Christ with people, this is what John uh, 1.14 says. Okay, here's the story. Here's the gospel. The word, God, came to earth. The word became flesh and blood, and he lived among us. And I've seen him. I've seen his glory, and it is utterly unique. I have seen Jesus. I have encountered him personally, and it is glorious. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's it. I mean, it's pretty simple. Jesus came to earth. We've seen him. It's glorious. You should see him, too. That's, that's a good little you know, five-second elevator speech of the gospel. But here's the thing, is you can't share Christ unless you really see him for yourself. Unless you've personally beheld him. That's what John says. He says, we've seen him. We've seen him and we know. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You should have a taste yourself. You should check it out for yourself. He's talking about a personal encounter. That's what you're made to do. To encounter Jesus personally. That you would see him. That you would know for yourself. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to. To come and behold him for yourself. Because you can't share with others what you don't have yourself. That's God's plan A, by the way. (laughs) For us to be his messengers. For flesh and blood, kind of broken, limited people who have to sleep, who can't be awake 24 hours a day, who can't talk to everyone, who can't do everything all at once, who can only do a few things and those things not even that well. (laughs) It's his plan to use us to go out into the world. That's the Great Commission. Jesus gathered together all these people who didn't know everything, who couldn't do everything, this group of disciples, and he sent them out and said, go go bear witness to me. Be fruitful. Make the world new. Be a part of what we're doing. And do what you can. And I'll be with you. And as he sends us into the world, I I want to leave us on this point. He sends us out in the world to bring blessing to the world. This is what uh, that guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says. and It's so beautiful. The whole world lives by the blessing of God. And because of that, the world has a future. Blessing, listen to this, blessing means laying one's hands on something and saying, despite everything, you belong to God. That's what blessing means. Going out into the world and saying, despite everything that's happened, You belong to God. That's what we do with the world that brings such suffering on us. We don't abandon it. We don't despise or condemn it. Instead, we call it back to God. We give it hope. We lay our hand on it. And we say, may God's blessing come upon you. May God renew you. Be blessed, world created by God. That's what you're called to do, to lay hands on this physical world and say, despite everything that's happened, you belong to God now. Be blessed. I started with a picture from Narnia, so I'll, I'll wrap up with a picture from Narnia. At the end of the movie, or the book, recommend the book, by the way. Um, at the end of the book, the witch has turned all these people into uh, stone statues. And so the, the power of death has come upon them, and all these people are statues. And, and this is one of the things the movie actually gets right, is Aslan goes straight into the middle of the witch's fortress, and he takes this little girl, Lucy, with him. And he breathes onto these statues. 
And what the book says is when Aslan breathes, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a process. And as he breathes on these statues, it's like a, a fuse has been lit. And sparks kind of fly over the stone. And at first it's just the tip of the nose, and then it goes to the ears, and then all of a sudden the whole body is flesh and blood again. The Bible says that God wants to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And the way that he does that is he breathes his word into the world. And this process begins where all of the creation is restored. And we're living at this time where it's kind of half stone, half flesh. Where we see the word moving into the world. We we see things that are being redeemed and being changed. But it's not complete yet. But you know in the book that as soon as he breathes once, it's a done deal. He doesn't have to breathe again. He breathes once and then all of a sudden, eventually, flesh and blood, the whole person is healed. And that's what we're called to do. To let the word of God move out. And it's so beautiful because Lucy goes from statue to statue and she says, no, no now this one. Now this one, Aslan. What, what about this one? And he goes, okay, great. And he, and he breathes on the statue. And I think he could, he could have done it all himself, but he called this little girl to be a part of him saving all of these people. That's what we're called to do, to go out into the world and say, what about this one, God? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to speak the word to them. God, would you breathe on them? Would you rescue them? Would you save them? Would you heal them? That's a beautiful, what what an honor. What an honor that we get to be a part of the restoring of all things. Of making everything new. And what he has started, you can rest assured he will continue. He will finish. He is faithful to do what he's promised. So that's what we're supposed to do. God came into the word and came into the universe as word and flesh. We're supposed to go out as word and flesh people bringing the word in our flesh. Two thousand years ago, that's what happened. That's still what happens today. Your calling and my calling is to go out into the ruins of this world. And to speak words of hope and truth and light and life trusting that God will do what he has promised to do. And even in the middle of a crooked and a twisted world, the church shines as lights in the darkness as we hold on to the word of life. This is our message. The eternal word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every precious, fun, exciting thing that we encounter today, uh, that we unwrap, will be in a landfill one day, probably. But the gift of your Son gets more and more beautiful the longer we, we spend time with it. The gift of your word becomes more precious to us the more familiar we are with it. We never grow tired of it. Lord, help us to have eyes to see you. Help us to have eyes to see this world as you see it and to move into it um, 
with the confidence that you're redeeming it. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.